the clothing manufacturer Patagonia is synonymous with quality. If you've ever uh, owned a, a Patagonia uh, clothing, you know that uh, it's not cheap, but it's high quality and it lasts. Uh, this company employs 45 full-time technicians who complete about 30,000 repairs per year. A few years ago, the company set off on a coast-to-coast -coast trip across the United States in a biodiesel truck to repair their customers' tired and well-loved clothing. Patagonia cares about fixing a jacket that has traveled the world with the customer because that aligns with the company's values. And just as important, it helps to develop the bond between customer and company. Often, the people who send in their garments for repair also send in their stories about how that piece of clothing has been with them through thick and thin. The customer stories fuel Patagonia's story, and they've done so for over four successful decades. The team at Patagonia believes that one of the most responsible things we can do as a company is to make high-quality stuff that lasts for years and can be repaired so that you don't have to buy more of it. They innovate for and market to those customers who believe what they believe. The customer is their compass. Now, if we were to shift gears and think of another industry where quality and excellence is at the top, if we were to go to the restaurant industry and we were going to talk about excellence and fast food, what would we think of? Of course, we're talking about Chick-fil-A, right? Year after year, Newsweek surveys thousands of customers and Chick-fil-A consistently gets ranked number one in customer service in America. This past year, they beat out In-N-Out and Whataburger. If you go to Chick-fil-A, you know that there is incredible consistency. The food is always fresh. It's made from quality ingredients. The restaurant is clean. The employees are polite, kind, and friendly. They're known for making eye contact, smiling, and going the extra mile. For Chick-fil-A, it's more than chicken sandwiches. Their founder, Trua Cathy, said, we should be about more than just selling chicken. We should, be about, we should be a part of our customers' lives and the communities in which we serve. Now, if an outdoor clothing company and a fast food restaurant has that kind of commitment and quality in their products and in their customers, then how much more should the church of Jesus be committed to excellence? Today, we're continuing our series through our core values. It's a series called This Is Us. And today, we are diving into the value we pursue excellence for God's glory. And the biblical image we're using to remember this core value is grip the plow. In our rural farming community, I think that this image really resonates. We understand the importance of gripping the plow, working hard, and giving our very best. Now, a church in Los Angeles or a church in New York City may not understand the image of grip the plow, but here in Wabash, Indiana, it makes perfect sense. Because even if you're not a farmer, you know a farmer, you're probably related to a farmer, you drive past fields most days, at least you do when you come to church on Sunday because we're surrounded by fields. And so it's easy for us to picture a farmer heading out to their field early in the morning while it's still dark. 
Most people are still asleep, but a farmer's work requires an early start. They grab a hold of the plow, determined to cultivate the soil and plant the seed. It's a picture of commitment and dedication and determination. I'm always fascinated looking down the the straight rows of, of beans and corn, seeing how they're perfectly spaced out so that crops have adequate nutrients and they have the, the highest possible yield. See, every detail matters. A farmer's livelihood depends on it, so they're committed to excellence, working hard and doing their best. Grip the plow captures the essence of our core value today. Pursuing excellence for God's glory. Now, I'll confess that excellence as a value doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? You might think it sounds like something you would hear from a Fortune 500 company or in an ad for a new vehicle or even a a corporate training. And so maybe for some of you, this causes you to feel a little uneasy. But today, I want to challenge you to think differently about excellence. First, we need to clarify what we mean by excellence. In the context of our our faith, you know, the, the the world often defines excellence in terms of achievements or perfection, but in God's economy, excellence is more about faithfulness, stewardship, and a heart devoted to Him. Our definition of excellence is deeply rooted in Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, I want you to know that excellence is not extravagance, okay? Excellence is not flashy. It's not showy. It doesn't necessarily mean expensive. And excellence is not the goal. Rather, it is a tool for helping us achieve the goal of glorifying God and making and growing disciples of Jesus. So what is excellence? Excellence is an attitude. It's a mindset. It says, I'm not going to settle for mediocrity. I'll do more than the minimum required. I will do more than belong. I will participate. I will do more than care. I will help. I will do more than believe. I will practice. I will do more than be fair. I will be kind. I will do more than forgive. I will forget. I will do more than dream. I will work. I will do more than teach. I will inspire. I will do more than earn. I will enrich. I will do more than give. I will serve. I will do more than live. I will grow. I will do more than suffer. I will triumph. Excellence is working hard, giving your best. And sadly, this isn't always the case in church. I remember when I was in high school, we had a work day at our church, and we were doing a bunch of different projects around the church, and when we thought we were finished, we asked if we were done, and an adult walked around and looked and said, eh, it's good enough for church. And that made me cringe. The thought behind this is, well, you know, Christians are gracious, and, and Christians will forgive, and, and, and they'll understand, and so it's okay if it's not the best. It's okay to give a half-hearted effort. 
that, that somehow our standards should be lower than the world. And my goodness, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Is that all that God is worthy of? A sloppy, poor, half-hearted effort? Or is he worthy of our very best? You see, in God's eyes, excellence is not about being flawless, but about being faithful. Excellence is motivated by a sense of God's greatness. God has given us everything. He has given us his best grace, his best love, his best mercies, his best forgiveness, and his best power. He has given us his best lamb, his son, Jesus Christ. And so excellence is our gift back to God for all that he has done for us by sending us his son to die on the cross for our sins. Now, in contrast, I want you to notice that perfection is something altogether different. According to Dr. John Casteline, a professor at Lincoln Christian Seminary, perfectionism has standards that continually crush people. Excellence lifts our spirits and makes our souls feel noble. Perfectionism keeps prodding us from behind, making us feel guilty. Excellence motivates and inspires. It says, come. It draws us in. Perfectionism is always commanding, you must. Excellence invites us in and says, you may. Perfectionism says, here's the pattern, now copy the pattern. Excellence challenges, saying, all I ask is that you give your best, your personal best. Perfectionism is artificial. It neglects the heart, and it motivates by guilt. Excellence is authentic and heart-driven, and it is motivated by God's greatness. Perfectionism is done out of a sense of duty. Excellence is contagious and inspires people. Dawson Troutman was the founder of Navigators, and he was a man who understood the importance of excellence in his life and in ministry. When he was alive, he had set his heart on doing things right for God's glory. He trained his secretaries to carefully place address labels on envelopes and to fold letters with precision. He used every opportunity to teach his employees the importance of excellence. One day, Dawson Troutman asked one of his missionaries named John Crawford to work on the front door and the back door to their office building. And so John spent most of the day working on the front door. He sanded it, he painted it, he carefully hung it. But when it came time to the back door, the door that opened up to the alley where all the trash was kept and where mud was splattered on the door and where the bums kind of hung out, John hung the door and didn't really put much care or thought into it. When Dawson returned, he complimented John on the front door. But when he saw the back door, he asked John, what's up with the back door? And John said, hey, it's the back door. It only opens up to the alley. I mean, nobody sees it. But Dawson stopped him and said, John, when we do things for the Lord, the back door looks as good as the front door. You see, church, good enough is just not good enough when it comes to honoring God through His church. In response to His holiness and His greatness, and gratitude for His monumental sacrifice for us, our attitude ought to be to pay tribute to Him 
with the very best that we can offer. Not obsessive perfectionism, but an attitude of excellence that permeates all that we do in the church and in our personal lives. Because what we do as Christians reflects on the Christ that we serve. So how do we grip the plow and pursue excellence for God's glory? We do this in a number of ways. We do it through showing diligence in our work. Gripping the plow requires a diligent work ethic. In Colossians 3, verse 23, Paul reminds us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. We do it through stewarding our gifts. God has gifted each one of us uniquely. Gripping the plow means that we use our gifts, our talents, our abilities faithfully. Matthew 25, verse 21 emphasizes, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. We do it through showing consistency and character. Excellence isn't just about what we do, but about who we are. Consistency and godly character is crucial. Proverbs 10, verse 9 encourages us, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Gripping the plow involves a holistic commitment to excellence, faithful work, faithful stewardship, and maintaining godly character. But maybe you're asking, why does this matter? What's the big deal? Excellence honors God and inspires people. Excellence, inspire, excellence honors God and inspires people. In the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles chapter 2, we find King Solomon making preparations to build God's temple. First, he gathers together 70,000 men to carry in the finest building materials available. He buys cedar from Lebanon and gold, silver, bronze, and blue yarn. Then he enlists 80,000 men to be stonecutters, and he sends them out to the hills of Jerusalem to find stones for the foundation of the temple. Solomon even sends letters off to other kings to gain their help in assembling a team of the finest craftsmen available in all of the known world. Solomon spares no expense as he prepares to construct God's temple. And so as we come to 2 Chronicles 2 verse 5, Solomon makes a stunning declaration. He says, the temple I'm going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. You see, it was Solomon's contention that the best deserved the best. For Solomon, the most excellent God was worthy of his finest efforts. Solomon believed that for him to be committed to anything less than excellence was for him to be committed to less than God. As we continue looking through this chapter, Solomon finds himself in a bit of a predicament. Because in verse 6, he asks, But who is able to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Who then am I to build a temple for him, except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? See, Solomon knew that deep down in his heart, his most excellent effort wouldn't even come close to capturing the excellence of his God. But did that stop him? Absolutely not. 
In verses 7 through 9, he writes to King Hiram. He says, Send me therefore a man skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue yarn, and experience in the art of engraving. Send me also cedar, pine, and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants are skilled in cutting timber there. My servants will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber, because the temple I build must be large and magnificent. Now, I would encourage you to spend time reading the rest of this story later. But I want you to see that for Solomon, God was worthy of nothing less than his most excellent efforts. Excellence for an excellent God. Excellence honors God. Now, I want you to look at the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Here in the book of Malachi, we learn another valuable lesson about excellence. The context here, God is announcing judgment on the people of Israel. See, evidently, when it was time for the people to give offerings to God, they had grown accustomed to giving less than their best. Instead of offering their best to God, they would go out to their flocks and they would find that blind or that injured or that crippled lamb. And then they would offer that imperfect lamb as an offering to God. So instead of offering the lamb that would win grand champion at the 4-H fair, Instead of offering the lamb that would bring the highest price at market, they were giving God their junk. Instead of offering God their choice lamb, they would say, oh, it's just for God. They were doing the exact opposite of King Solomon. And so in Malachi, we see God respond in a number of ways. First, in Malachi 1 verse 6, God quizzes them. He says, hey, hey, am I not worthy of excellence? He says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Second, in Malachi 1 verse 8, God basically tells them point blank. Nobody wants your junk. Try giving your junk to anyone and see what they say. Here's what the verse reads. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Third, in Malachi 1 verse 10, God pleads with them. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you. In effect, God is saying, you might as well have stayed home rather than coming here and offering me anything short of your very best. I'm not a goodwill. I deserve more than your hand-me-downs. And then lastly, in Malachi 1 verse 14, God pronounces a curse. He says, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Excellence honors God. Our very best honors God. Good enough is just not good enough when it comes to glorifying God. Excellence honors God. But what I want you to see is that excellence has an effect on people too. When Solomon built God's temple with excellence, He wanted to attract people to his God. 
He wanted their hearts to skip a beat. He wanted them to do a double take. He wanted them to to see and to taste something of God's greatness and God's excellence. You see, when it comes to the church, non-Christians assume that things are going to be done carelessly. Non-Christians assume that we're going to have low standards. Non-Christians expect us believers to give less than our best. Because they think that everything we're doing is just a big charade. But when we value excellence as Solomon did, it makes a statement about the kind of God that we worship. It makes a statement about our commitment to our excellent God. It's been said before that what you feel most deeply about, you will try to do to the best of your ability. You see, our excellence communicates to others that we care deeply about God's honor. So if people drive up to our church building and they see that the grass hasn't been mowed and there are weeds everywhere and the landscape, landscaping hasn't been touched in forever, what do they think of our God? Or if people visit our website and it's just full of inaccurate information and there are typos all over the place, what will they think about our God? If people go to use our restrooms and they're unclean, what do they think of our God? What do they think if our music is unrehearsed and the worship service has no flow, if the nursery is dirty or there's no parking available? What will they think if the preaching and the teaching is just kind of off the cuff with with no serious preparation? If we didn't care about excellence, would anyone care about our God? Would anyone be motivated to give his or her best to God? Would they be inspired to, to give their lives to Christ? A commitment to excellence makes a real difference. Excellence honors God and inspires people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 32, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. And if you look throughout church history, for most of church history, it was the church that led the way for pursuing excellence for the culture. If you look throughout history, the most beautiful buildings in in history were church buildings. The the most beautiful pieces of architecture were, were through the church. The best artists and the best musicians were Christians. Bach and Handel wrote church music. The best scientists, the, the best inventors were Christians. The greatest artist, Michelangelo, was a Christian. Galileo, Isaac Newton. But something happened where where recently, instead of the church setting the standard for excellence in our culture, the the church has kind of played second fiddle and let the culture lead the way, and we've become a copycat, and everything's been watered down. We need to reclaim a standard of excellence. And so as, as we grip the plow and as we pursue excellence, We're not just striving for personal success, but we're creating a testimony that glorifies God and inspires others. I want you to think about your own life. Where in your life are you settling for mediocrity? Where in your life do you need to grip the plow and pursue excellence for the glory of God? 
as we wrap up our time together, I want to show you what excellence in action could look like. What's excellence in our daily lives truly look like? First, I want to encourage you to take it personal. To take it personal. When you see something that needs to be fixed, when you see something that needs to be cleaned or picked up, especially around the church, it's not, oh, somebody needs to take care of this. Let me go find one of the staff. It's, no, I'll take care of this. If you call Bachelor Creek your church home, this is your church. You say, this is my church. When we talk about what it means to be a member at Bachelor Creek, there are three words that we use, accountable, committed, and responsible. You're taking responsibility. This is my church. I'm going to take it personal. Second, I want to encourage you to make it better. Take it personal and make it better. In other words, don't settle. Don't take the easy way out. I love the the ministry and the teaching of Dr. John Stott. And shortly before he died in 2011, the last piece of advice that he gave to his assistant was simply this. Do the hard thing. You see, Stott believed that choosing the easy trail, the, the road most taken, the path of least resistance can only end in mediocrity, even if it comes with praise. It's the difference between owners and employees. We want every person who calls Bachelor Creek their church home to think like an owner. Because owners take it personal and they make it better. I know there are several of you in here who are are business owners, and you want your business to grow. You want your business to be successful. And so you're constantly looking at how you can make things better. You want the quality to be better. You want the product to be better. You want your customer service to be better. So what do you do? You grip the plow. And our Savior Jesus modeled this. There's an interesting scene, if you've ever watched the movie The Passion of the Christ, There's a scene where it shows Jesus finishing a table. And Jesus is depicting as having a commitment to putting out an excellent product. As a carpenter and the son of a carpenter, he spent many long hours and many years doing manual work. Days upon days, years in a wood shop. His work had to be of the highest quality. Now, there is a Christian apologist and preacher named Justin Martyr. He lived in the second century in Galilee. And he made a very interesting observation. He wrote that during his lifetime in Galilee, he still saw farmers using plows that were made by Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? Theologian Oz Guinness writes, how intriguing to think of Jesus' plow rather than his cross. To wonder what it was that made his plows last and stand out. As Christians, you know, we sometimes exalt spiritual work and we downplay simple labor. But what I want you to understand is that any work, no matter how mundane it may be, if it is done for God, it is spiritual work. So take it personal, make it better. Third, live for God's glory, not your own. Live for God's glory, not your own. I want to acknowledge there is a very real temptation that when we talk about doing things with excellence, that you start to grip the plow, you work hard, you give your best so that you get approval. 
You start to do things well so that, that you get accolades and you get attention, and, and that is a very real temptation. So we have to make a conscious effort that I am living for God's glory, not my own. I'm reminded of an old Chris Tomlin song where he says, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And I think that is really wise advice, that as we go throughout our lives, whatever comes our way, we turn and we give glory and we praise God, for it all comes from Him and it all goes to Him. Whatever we do, whatever we do, we do it for God's glory. Six months before he was assassinated, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was speaking to students at Barrett Junior High School in Philadelphia on October 26, 1967, and here's what he told them. He said, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. As I read that this week, I thought of an experience I had probably six weeks ago. I was down in Georgia at a golf course, and I was sitting outside the pro shop on a bench, and I was putting my shoes on. And there was an employee who was sweeping off the porch and then sweeping the sidewalk. And she came toward my bench, and she was doing her meticulous work sweeping the sidewalk. And she stopped, and she rested on her, her broom, and she wiped her forehead. And I just commented to her, I said, man, you do a really, really great job. And she said, thank you. And then she added something that explained why the sidewalk behind her was spotless. She said, I just believe that people want to walk on a clean sidewalk. And in that moment, I, I just felt humbled to be in the presence of a worker who viewed her task with such significance. Whatever the golf course was paying her, there's no way they could have demanded the excellence that she brought to her work. That's the kind of motivation that, that only comes from within. So church, what I want you to see is that in God's eyes, nothing is mundane. Everything is spiritual. And so whatever we do, whatever we do, we do it for God's glory. Why? Because excellence honors God and inspires people. Bachelor Creek, this is us. Gripping the plow, pursuing excellence for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? God, you are worthy. Worthy of everything that we bring to you. You are worthy of our very best. And God, when you look down at your creation and you looked at us, in the midst of our junk and in the midst of our sin, you sent us your very best. You sent us the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, to take away the sins of the world. And God, while we know that nothing we do can ever compare to your excellence, God, I pray that our lives would be lived as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to you in response to what you have done for us. That when we think of your love and we think of your grace and we think of your power in our lives, that that would motivate us to give our very lives to you, our very best. Because you are worthy. 
And God, I pray that we wouldn't get caught up in doing things for our own attention and our own accolades, but, but our pursuit in this would be for your glory, the fame of your name, so the people would see that you are a great God. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.